0: You know, um, depression and discouragement is a difficult area because it's, it's an area that at one time or the other we will all face. And actually, life is filled with problems and difficulties. You all figured that out, right? So the key is, how do we respond to those? And if we don't respond correctly then we're filled with discouragement and depression. Now, I'm going to be careful in the area, especially depression. Uh, There is such a thing as clinical depression. Uh, I'm not qualified to talk about that. That's a medical condition. I'm not in that position to talk about that, so I'm going to stay away from that. But what I do want to talk about is the kind of depression that comes... Uh, as a result of continued attacks, continued disappointments. And actually, just for a moment, I want to talk to you a little bit about the difference between depression and discouragement. First of all, uh, discouragement is usually related to an event, a specific event. This happened, it didn't work out the way I wanted, it didn't work out the way I planned, and so therefore I am discouraged about that situation or that report or that person or whatever it was. Usually it's related to a specific event. Whereas depression uh, is is more a state of mind that has taken in a lot of events. Uh, A lot of situations have happened. A lot of things have, have gone on in our life. And what's happened is caused us to lose hope. Interestingly enough, the word dismayed, Or discouraged is mentioned in the Bible actually quite a few times. But the word depression is never mentioned in the Bible. It There is probably the mention, uh, maybe it could be it talks about a broken spirit, a crushed spirit. So that could be the same area or could be talking about depression. But this is what I understand. And that is if we learn how to deal with discouragement which is a specific event, then there's a good chance, if we've learned to deal with that, then we will not allow depression to set in. We won't allow that state of mind to take place because we've learned how to deal with discouragement. You know, a great example of this, y- y'all, y'all have all heard in your history about Abraham Lincoln. You've probably heard that he was a great president, right? Right? Uh, He was the president who was president during the Civil War. He led us through the most difficult time in our nation through the Civil War and through the healing that it took. And if you ask most people, you'll say, well, what kind of president was President Abraham Lincoln? I would say, oh, he was a great president. But I want you just to notice some things about his life. First of all, he was kicked in the head when he was 10 years old. And the rest of his life, he suffered from what he called bouts are spells of depression, uh, intense headaches. In fact, he had a a couch sit right in his office where if one of these spells would hit him, he would have to lay down uh, during that. And then he failed in business and went bankrupt in 1831. In 1832, he tried out for the legislature and failed. Uh, He had a nervous breakdown in 1836... He tried to become elected speaker uh, in the legislature. He failed at that in 1838. Uh, he was defeated at being an elector in 1840. Then he t- ran for Congress, and he was defeated in 1843 and in, 19- in 1848. And then he ran for the Senate in 1855 and lost again. And then he ran for vice president in 1858, uh, and he failed there. So I don't know about you, but over 25 years, he failed. He was defeated. And yet, Abraham Lincoln was a man of faith. He was a man who had a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. He leaned on the Word of God. He prayed daily. He read the Word of God daily. And he ran for president of the United States in 1860 and won. And went on, you know, all the failures washed away because he believed. And one of the reporters asked him one time from one of the newspapers, he said, what about all these defeats you've suffered your whole life? He smiled and said, all those defeats were just stepping stones to the success God has brought me in my life. You see, he understood something about overcoming discouragement. I think, you know, it would have been easy for him to get discouraged. He kept trying to run for public office, but he kept losing. And God had put it in his heart to be a servant, and he knew he had a plan and a purpose. And his purpose was to serve his country, and yet he continued to be defeated. And what we want to look at today are some of the secrets, some of the keys that I believe are hidden in the Word of God that can help us to overcome discouragement. Because the truth of it is, we will all fail. We will all come up against situations that are harmful or they hurt us or we're discouraged. That just happens. That's a part of life. But the key is, I want to be able to overcome those situations and not, Let discouragement overtake us. So a couple of things. And I prayed about this. I said, Lord, there's so much I want to say. Please help me to narrow down what you want to say to your people. So I would like to share with you some keys to overcoming discouragement and depression. The first thing in this, that is avoid people in your life who discourage you. People will discourage you. I remember this is over 20 years ago, um, maybe 25 years ago. Every time my wife was around this particular person, she would come home and she was so discouraged, so upset, so angry, so frustrated. And finally, I said to my wife, I said, sweetheart, I would like for you to stop being around that person. Because every time you come home, you're always miserable, And it was then she realized, you're right, that person is really discouraging me. And so I'd like you to read a word in Deuteronomy chapter 1. It talks about this. Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 26. Look what he says. This is Moses talking to the people. Nevertheless, you would not go up, but rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. You complained in your tents and said... Because the Lord hates us, he's brought us out of the land of Egypt to deliver us into the hand of the Amorite to destroy us. Where can we go up? Our brethren have discouraged our hearts, saying, The people are greater and taller than we. The cities are great and fortified up to heaven. Moreover, we have seen the sons of Anakin there. Then I said to you, do not be terrified or afraid of them. The Lord your God who goes before you, he will fight for you according to all he did for you in Egypt before your eyes. And in the wilderness where you saw how the Lord your God carried you as a man carried his son. And all of the way that you went until you came to this place. Yet for all of that, you did not believe the Lord your God. They discouraged the hearts of the people. It is amazing. How. What we say. Can influence. Other people. So. My encouragement to you. Is because people have such great impact. In your life. You have to learn. And identify. Target. The people. In your life. Who speak. And they discourage you. Now. I can't say altogether avoid them because sometimes it's your husband (laughs) or your wife or your mom or your dad or something like that. It may be a person who's very close to you and you would say, well, it's impossible for me to avoid them. Well, what you'll have to do, if that's the case, you're going to have to learn not to listen. They may speak, but you're going to have to not listen because you make a choice what you allow to come into your heart and, and render you helpless or discouraged. You have to choose what you're going to allow into your heart. And so in the name of Jesus, I strongly encourage you to be an encourager and to be careful who you listen to. And it doesn't take long. You're in the middle of a conversation and all of a sudden they begin to speak all kinds of stuff. And people who always are speaking evil of someone else are usually people who will discourage you. So learn the people. They're always talking bad about somebody. Just You you understand about them, right? If they're talking bad about somebody else, as soon as you're gone, they're going to talk bad about you. So those are people to avoid. Now, you need to be a person who encourages others. You know, uh, most of you remember back in 2016, last year, my wife uh, was diagnosed with uh, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, uh, and we went through a battle, and thank God she's healed and well and no trace of cancer in her life. But, yes, thank God for that. But during that time... First of all, I'd like to say thank you for the many people who spoke to her and encouraged her. Just spoke words of encouragement. But I'd like to say something else. There were a few of you who came up to my wife and told her all the horror stories of all the people you knew who had cancer and died. Now, I would like to give you a little word of wisdom. (laughs) That would be better left unsaid. That's not just to my wife. That's to anybody. Learn to be careful what you say. And especially if it's a lady. First of all, she's going to be emotional. and She's going through a battle and maybe cancer, maybe some other kind of uh, battle. But whatever you say to someone, especially as they're going through a battle, be an encourager. Don't tell them every horror story you know of everybody who's gone through that and failed. Speak life. If you you know those stories, hold those off. And if you can't think of anything else to say to somebody, just say, I'll pray for you. The Lord our God is strong and mighty. The Lord our God is more than able to handle this situation. Speak encouragement. The people of Israel did not go into the promised land. Because their hearts were discouraged. It tells us here. These guys, these ten of them, they came back and they discouraged our hearts. But that leads you also, I don't know if you caught this, but as we read that passage, it also says something else. Before they discouraged their hearts, what does it say? It says they complained in their tent. So that's going to be my second admonition to you. If you want to overcome discouragement and depression, learn to refuse to complain. How many of you here have complained about something? How many of you know a friend or a loved one who loves to complain? Oh, that's too many hands. Oh, have mercy. (sighs) Did you notice what it says there? It says they complained in their tents. A lot of people say, Why did the people of God, why did the Israelites, why did they not go into the promised land? Well, if you really look at it, it's because they complained. And it says they disobeyed God, but when you begin to dissect that and understand that, they complained. They complained in the verse that we just read here. Look at another verse. It's in Numbers chapter 14, verse 2 through 4. This is a short passage. Their voices rose in a great chorus of protest against Moses and Aaron. Oh, if we had just died in Egypt and even here in the wilderness, they complained. Why has the Lord taken us to this country only to have us die in battle? Our wives and our little ones will be carried off as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to return to Egypt? than they plotted among themselves, let's choose a new leader, and go back to Egypt. Over and over and over again, they complained. I just want to say this about complaining. Think about this just for a moment. When we complain, we are actually discouraging ourselves. It's self-discouragement. When you're complaining. Because when you're complaining, you are declaring what God cannot do. You're declaring God's inability to handle the situation. Therefore, you're going to complain about it. You know, life does not get better when you complain. If you complain to your husband or to your wife, it does not inspire them to want to be better husband or wife. Y'all figure that out. You do not complain a person into being a better person, but you can encourage them into being a better person. It's amazing how you speak words of faith, words of encouragement, even sometimes words that they don't deserve. And it makes them want to live up to those encouraging words. You can declare to your husband, thank you for being a great man of God. And he's thinking in his head, I'm not such a great man of God. But he will think, I want to be a man of God. I want to be who you are calling me. And he may know his failures, but he wants to live up to what you're saying. But you reverse that, and you complain early in the morning, and then in the middle of the day, and then at supper... And then at night, if you complain about your wife or your husband or your children or your job or this or that, it's amazing how those things that you complain about get worse. They get worse in our own eyes and in our own heart. So I want to encourage you. Don't be a complainer. Because it does not help us. It does not... It's not beneficial. Five things that complaining does. Complaining discourages others. We saw that already. The second thing, complaining offends God. Number three, complaining condemns us to a life of if only. You saw that in that first passage we read. They're always saying, well, if only this had happened. Fourth thing, complaining discourages us. I was just mentioning that. And then the last thing, complaining robs us of our destiny. They had a destiny in the promised land, but complaining robbed them of their own destiny. So I want to encourage you. Be a person of faith. Be a person that believes God, that God loves you, that He cares for you. He has a plan and a purpose for your life. Encourage yourself. And if things are not going well, and and if things are, you know, falling apart, begin to do what I would say is encouraging. And the third thing, and that is, let your life be filled with praise and gratefulness. I cannot stress this enough. Let your life be filled with praise and gratitude. Gratefulness. It is amazing how many situations get better when praise comes from your mouth, praising God, worshiping God. And what happens, this is what I've learned about praise and gratefulness. And that is it rearranges our perspective. Do you know it's our perspective on a situation that sometimes discourages us? What, what will happen is that we will get what I call unrealistic expectations. And then those unrealistic expectations doom us to failure. Because it's not going to happen. If we have an unrealistic expectation of someone or a situation or this is going to And you get all your hopes and dreams built up. And it doesn't happen. And a lot of times it was never going to happen. And I just encourage you. Allow God to what I call rearrange your perspective. You know, one of the greatest examples of this is Elijah. Elijah was a great prophet. He performed amazing miracles in the Old Testament. Uh, Just an amazing prophet. And yet, he had one of the, I guess, the greatest battles against the prophets of Satan, the prophets of Baal and Jezebel. He had a great battle, and he won that battle. Remember that battle? A, Elijah called down fire from heaven. And fire came down from heaven. <laughs> it's one thing to call down fire from heaven. And it actually happened. And it did. And it burned up all of the, the, the sacrifices on the altar. And then they killed the 400 prophets of Baal. And you would have thought that was the most amazing victory in the world. But I want you to notice what happens to Elijah. We're going to read it. It it's kind of follows after that. We're going to read it in First Kings 19. We're going to read the first 10 verses. It says, when Ahab got home, he told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, including the way he killed all the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. May the God strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you killed them. Elijah was afraid, fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left a servant there. Then he went on alone in the wilderness, traveling all day, sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors who have already died. Would you say he's depressed and discouraged? I would say so. go, Go ahead, Lord. Just kill me. Just kill me, Lord. Then he laid down and slept under the broom tree. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, get up and eat. He looked around and and there beside him was some bread baked on some hot stones and a jar of water. And we don't know where that came from. God provided. Angels brought it, I guess. So he ate and drank and laid down again. Then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, get up and eat some more or the journey ahead will be too much for you. So he got up. Ate and drank, and the food gave him much strength, enough strength to travel for 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. And there he came to a cave where he spent the night. But the Lord God said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? What's going on, Elijah? And I love his answer. Talk about depressed and discouraged. Elijah replied, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty. But the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, killed every one of your prophets, and I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. I want to tell you, that is not the truth. (laughs) It wasn't true. He was not the only one left. Later, God tells him, I still have 500 prophets who have not bowed their knee to Baal. He was not the only one, but he felt like the only one. You see, Elijah was discouraged and depressed because he had two wrong perspectives. The first perspective that was wrong was he felt like he was a failure. He felt like that what should have happened, again, here's unrealistic expectation, what should have happened, as soon as he had this great victory, he thought Jezebel would have took off running And he would have thought that everybody in Israel would just fall down worshiping God and no one would worship false gods anymore. It didn't happen. See, he failed to recognize how diligent and clever the enemy is. And that the enemy does not give up easily. And just because the devil got set back and had that victory by Elijah and God over the prophets of Baal, that doesn't mean the devil's just going to lay down and, and give in. So he had this perspective that he was a failure, that all the people didn't not do what he thought they should have done, so he felt like he was a failure. And the second perspective, here's the interesting thing he felt like God only worked in dramatic ways. He was a, a prophet who thought that. God was just working when fire was coming from heaven or the axe head was floating to the surface or when something amazing was happening. That was when God was at work and it was causing him to constantly be be discouraged because he did not understand that God is at work in our life every day. And so God has an experience with him. We're about to read it in the next few verses where God wants to rearrange his perspective. Look, if you would, verse 11 through 13. He says this, "'Go out and stand before me before me on the mountain,' the Lord told him. And then as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by, and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake was the fire, but the Lord was not in the fire.'" After the fire there was the sound of a gentle whisper when elijah heard it and obviously implied there as he recognized that was god when elijah heard it he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave and a voice said the second time god said it elijah what are you doing here what are you doing elijah why are you discouraged? Why are you depressed? You are not a failure. And God was trying to show him, I work every day in small things. You know, when we are able to get up and love our children, it's God at work. You don't have to call down fire from heaven for God to be working. Sometimes you just make it to work and it's a miracle. God, and He's trying to rearrange our perspective, too. He wants you to know that He works in just small areas. Small situations. A still, small voice. And you know, it's hard to know because Elijah doesn't say a lot here. All it does is he just wraps himself in a blanket and stands out there thinking, about what God has just tried to show him. God has tried to say to him, Elijah, I'm not just in the big things, I'm in the small things. I'm in the still, small voice. And you know, Elijah had to make a choice. He was going to allow God to rearrange his perspective. And therefore, he could begin to reflect on God's faithfulness. And he could begin to believe God again. But do you know, Elijah never did another miracle after this. He never did another miracle. And not long after this, the mantle was passed from Elijah to Elisha. And Elisha did twice as many miracles as Elijah did. It's interesting. Discouragement and depression he allowed it to take over in his life. And God gave him the opportunity to have his heart and his mind and his thoughts redone, re a new perspective. But as far as I can understand, he didn't allow God to do that. And God said, okay, we'll use somebody else. And that's the way God will do it. If you won't allow God to work in your life, He'll use somebody else. And I want to encourage you today that some of you are fighting. And, you know, when I made the decision, and I felt like the Lord put this on my heart to deal with depression and discouragement. I knew the Lord said there would be people here this morning who are fighting this battle. You know, it's a it's a silent battle. It's not a a battle you tell everybody about. You don't broadcast it and say, I'm fighting discouragement and depression. It's a silent one. It's one we hide. It's one we have at home alone. When you cry yourself to sleep and you don't even know why you're crying and you feel like a failure and yet God has used you to do great things. It's a battle that the enemy wants to win because ultimately... It will steal your destiny. It kept the people of God out of the promised land. And it robbed Elijah of continuing to be the prophet I believe he could have been. So I want to encourage you. The fourth thing I see here as far as the way for us to overcome depression. And that is, remember that God is in control in your life. You see, it is whenever we lose sight of the fact that God is in control of your life and that He knows what He's doing and that He works good things in your life. And you know, God has the ability to work all things for good. But if you lose sight of the fact that He can work all things for good, it's easy to get discouraged when things don't work out. When life throws you a terrible twist and something happens that just shakes you to the core you have an opportunity. You can say, "Lord, I believe that you work all things for good." It didn't that didn't mean all things are good. He didn't he was not saying everything that happens is good because sometimes things happen that are terrible. Sometimes things happen that hurt. But he said, "I will work all things together for good." If you will remember To love me, love the Lord your God, and know that I have a plan and purpose for your life. See, we have to gain that perspective. God has a plan and a purpose for my life, and God can work this situation. You see, those discouragement is tied to an event. So when one of those events happen and you want to be discouraged, you want to be down because of that, then you need to see that God can work in this event. God can work in this situation. God can work this for good. He can move it for good. He can change for good. You know, the battles you're facing, the battles you're facing, when you allow God to show you how to have victory in those battles, then what will God do? He will then use you to help others going through the same battle. He will help you and you, He will put you around people that are fighting the same battle you're fighting. And so I want to encourage you to remember that God is in control. Now, there may be somebody here today and, and maybe... Um, Let's say most things that I was just talking about was for believers, people who believe in Jesus. Because even if you believe in Jesus, you can get discouraged. So that's when we learn to trust in God and we refocus and let God. But if you're here this morning and you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus. Then you are going to be easily discouraged. And easily depressed. Why? Because Jesus is the only one that gives us fulfillment. He is the only one that gives us a purpose in life. How can you have a purpose in life without Jesus? I tell you, you know, I think about the hundreds of thousands of people suffering today in Louisiana and Texas over this flood. And if they do not have Jesus, they are really hurting. They're not just hurting physically. They're not just hurting because they lost their home. They are fighting discouragement and depression. And they are at a point, a lot of them times, they just want to give up. This is the point in their life where we can speak Jesus to them. And tell them, Jesus is the answer that you're looking for. Jesus gives you fulfillment and hope. It gives you the purpose that you, we all desperately are looking for. We can only be fulfilled if we have a relationship with Jesus Christ. It doesn't mean you're not going to go through storms. And it doesn't mean you're not going to go through battles. It doesn't mean that your house is not going to get flooded. But it does mean when life hits you hard. God is with you right there. And He will bring you through this situation. He will bring those around you who will help you. He will bring those who will encourage you. And He will not abandon you. And this is where you have to believe, God, you are in control. You are in control in my life. I may may not understand what's going on, but Lord, you are in control. You know, one of the greatest, I love Psalms twenty. 27 great one of the great psalms that David wrote at a time when he was struggling against his enemies the lord led david to write psalms 27 and i want to encourage you if you are fighting discouragement or depression what a great psalm for you to read in the morning just a word to encourage you, a word to refocus your heart and get a better perspective. Let me read it for you. It's in Psalm 27. Just, I'm just going to read the first eight verses. So powerful. This is declaring. This is David encouraging himself. The Lord is my light and my salvation, so why should I be afraid? The Lord is my fortress, protecting me from danger. Why should I tremble? When evil people come to devour me, when my enemies and foes attack me, they will stumble and fall. Though a mighty army surrounds me, my heart will not be afraid. Even though I'm attacked, I will remain confident. Verse 4. The one thing I ask of the Lord, the thing I seek most, is to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Delighting in the Lord's perfections and meditating in His temple. Then He will conceal me there when troubles come. He will hide me in His sanctuary. He will place me out of His, out of reach on a high rock. I love it. Then I will hold my head high above my enemies who surround me. At His sanctuary, I will offer sacrifices with shouts of joy. Singing and praising the Lord with music. There's you fill your life with praise. Verse 7. Hear me as I pray, O Lord. Be merciful and answer me. What a powerful verse in verse 8. My heart has heard you say, come and talk with me. And my heart responds, Lord, I'm coming. I'm coming, Lord. You know, God is speaking to His people today. So many of you have been fighting battles of discouragement, battles of depression. If you know the Lord today, I encourage you to allow Him to rearrange your perspective like He tried to do with Elijah, to put your mind focused on how He will work all things for good. That he, you have a plan and a purpose. Did you know God has a plan for your life before you were ever born? is that amazing? He has a plan and a purpose for your life before you were ever created. Before you were ever in your mother's womb, God had a plan for your life. And it's up to us to choose to walk in that plan or not walk in that plan. God has a blueprint. It's our choice to follow that blueprint are not. So I want to encourage you today, if you're a believer and you are fighting discouragement, you're fighting depression, I want to encourage you this morning to allow God to rearrange your perspective. To get you refocused. You know when our heart is set on Him working in our life and that God works all things for good, it's hard to get discouraged. Because you know He's going to work good out of every situation. But also, if you're here this morning and you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, you are empty. That's the truth. You are empty today, you are not fulfilled. And as you go through life, you keep trying to fill it with this and that. You try this and you try that. You're trying to fill something, you don't even know what you're trying to fill. Only Jesus will satisfy you. Only Jesus will fill that deep longing within your heart. Today, you need Jesus. Jesus died on the cross 2,000 years ago. Bled and died so that your sins could be forgiven. But not just for forgiveness. He wanted to live inside of you. By His Holy Spirit, He wanted to come and live inside of you. Forgive you of all of your sin. And then cause you to live an abundant life. To give you purpose and hope and meaning. So that you would never be discouraged. Am I occasionally discouraged? Absolutely. Sure. But I quickly let go of that. By reminding myself, God has a plan and a purpose. And that event, that person that said that, this situation, that, you just let that go. Say, Lord, you are bigger than that. You are bigger than that. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, I'm going to ask you to bow your heads right now. Just for a moment. Everybody, if you would just bow your heads, I'm going to pray. Lord Jesus. I believe the Holy Spirit is speaking to the hearts of every person in this room. Lord, we've all been here. We've all been at that place of discouragement. But Lord, I pray right now for individuals in this room that are empty. And they need Jesus. They need you, Lord. They need you to forgive them and fill them and give them a sense of purpose and a sense of hope you are the only one Lord that can give them what they're looking for Lord I believe that those individuals are not here just by chance today but Lord you brought them here today during this whole message Lord you have been speaking to their heart you've been saying to them you want them to know Jesus you want them to know you You want them to surrender to you and your plan and your purpose for their life. Lord, I ask that they would respond. I ask that they would be willing to say, yes, Lord, here I am. Here I am, Lord. If you're here this morning and you're one of those empty people, that keeps trying to fill things, but you know you can't fill it without Jesus. If you're here this morning, you know that God has been tugging at your heart to surrender your life to Jesus, to turn your life over to Him. You're here this morning. God has been speaking to your heart. I'm going to ask you, if you would, to raise your hand. Anybody? Hallelujah. If you would, I'm just going to ask everyone to stand to your feet. And we're going to sing that song that we sang earlier. And if you would like to surrender your life to Jesus Christ, I'm going to ask you just to get out of your seat. Come down to the front. I want to pray with you right here for you to receive Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life would you come just make your way quickly down to the front give your heart and your life to Jesus Christ anybody would you come yes thank you for coming young lady anybody else anyone else anyone anyone else thank you young man thank you Lord thank you young man there's some others of you There's some others God has been speaking to your heart all week that this is a day that you need to surrender to him and make him Lord of your life would you come yes thank you young man you know it takes a lot of courage to just get out of your seat and come down but you know, you have to be willing to say, yes, Lord, I, I want you, I want to start over in my life. Thank you. Thank you, young lady. Thank you. Better wait just a minute. Anybody else? All right. It's what I'd like to ask you to do just to pray out loud with me. This is just just a surrender to say, Lord, I give you my life and I surrender to you. God wants to, number one, He wants to forgive you of all of your sin. And then He wants to come inside of you and live inside of you and give you a brand new heart. Give, Put His Holy Spirit inside of you. It's amazing. It is, it's a free gift. Now, once that happens, He wants us to walk in His ways. He wants us to, you know, I encourage you to be in church, to make this your church, uh, simply so that you can grow in that. But, The key thing is that you need that relationship with Him. And He loves you. He has a plan and a purpose for your life. He cares about you. And forget about all the failures you've had in your life. He's going to use those failures as stepping stones to His plan and His purpose in your life. Okay? So we're going to pray out loud. Y'all can pray with us. Let's pray. We're going to pray out loud. I'm going to lead you and you pray after me. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, I give my heart to you, Lord. I claim Jesus as the Lord of my life. I believe the blood of Jesus is for my forgiveness. I receive your forgiveness, Lord. Come into my heart. Be my Lord. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. Live inside of me from now on. Give me that new heart, Lord, and take away my old heart. Change my mind and my thoughts. Thank you, Lord, that you will be my purpose. I love you, Lord. Today, I am born again. I will never be the same. I am a child of God. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Bless your heart. Bless your man. Thank you